has to come before your word. I feel that you will open our hearts and our minds. I feel that you will speak to us. May the gospel capture our hearts. May the gospel change us. <coughs> Give us insight. Speak to us while we're listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we've seen these two passages. We encounter a couple of uh, two interesting uh, people in this. One is the centurion. The other one is the uh, one. Uh, the other one is called the woman of the city. We don't know her name. Uh, sometimes we we might think that this is Mary Magdalene because there is a similar passage in the other Gospels, but it is not that account. It's a, it's a different account in Luke. It is not Mary Magdalene, but she is called the woman of the city. We see the centurion and the woman of the city are in two opposite poles of society. The centurion is somebody who's wealthy, he's a Roman soldier, he's respected and honored in society. Uh, the woman of the city basically is a euphemism for, uh, she's called a prostitute, she doesn't have a name, is not referred here, uh, so she is uh, looked down upon, she's ostracized. So the, these are two people from two uh, ends of the spectrum of society. Uh, and uh, we see here Jesus is responding to the faith. Okay. Jesus is responding to their faith. We see in verse 9, uh, when Jesus heard these things, and it's in the context of the centurion, uh, uh, when Jesus heard the centurion speak, when he heard these things, he marveled at him. Jesus, uh, the word marvel is only used two times. Jesus only marvels two, two times in, in the recorded passage in scripture. One is he's marveling at the unbelief of people. Here he marvels at the faith of the centurion, right? So it says he marveled at him, turning to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. He marvels at the faith of the centurion. And then in verse 50, uh, referring to the, the woman, and he said to the woman, your, your faith has saved you. Uh, go in peace. So this morning, uh, it, it is this idea of faith. It's a theme of faith that connects both these passages. Uh, so uh, we are going to talk about faith that saves us, right? What is what is saving faith? Now this morning, even as we begin to ponder this, uh, I want I want you to understand we, we all have faith in something. Faith is not only uh, for people who are religious or people who believe in God. Or so you, you have faith, but everybody else who do not believe in God do not have faith. No, we all have faith in something, right? Uh, it is not just the religious people. It is not just the spiritual people. Now, everybody, right? Uh, we all live by a code. We, we all live by what I would call, in my head, I would call like this background noise, this background music, right? There's something we live by, right? Uh, we all live by certain code beliefs. There are certain things we value, we hold dearly, right? Growing up for me, uh, in my context, one of the things that I, I and I, as I grew older and I was able to see in myself and I would, uh, uh, th there's this movie, Happy New Year, I don't know if you've seen the movies, uh, Happy New Year by uh, Shah Rukh Khan and he, and he divides people and he, he divides society into two, two people, it's a famous dialogue and I'm not going to say it in Hindi but he says that, that in this world there are, there are either winners or losers, there's only two kinds of people in this world, right? Uh, so in that movie people live by that code. They live by that code. And, I, and I've realized in my life, and I, I, I always held to that belief. Though I believe in God, though I believe in God, but in my head, I always look at the world as winners and losers. And even if it is a small game of carom, right? I want to win. <laughs> if it's a 
cricket with my brother right underarm cricket with my brother but i want to i want to win right because in my head somehow i feel like in this world only if you win you will be respected if you don't win you're not going to be respected right only if you win you will achieve things if you don't win if you people don't look at you as winner then you are nothing you will not be remembered even though we believe in god we live by a certain set of codes certain set of principles and values are you are you chatting with me right and this could be for everybody right and i, I when i was um, uh anyway it's not a joke but when i was trying to go to crossfit um, and uh, I, i had this crossfit coach and he would constantly talk about things and it's amazing right because when in crossfit they talk about Uh, all the physical aspects of things and they also kind of merge with the spiritual aspects of things and he would always tell uh, his students he'll say his only goal in life is to become a millionaire right uh, and at at one point he would keep saying that and somebody asked him are you talking about millionaire like rupees or dollars <laughs> he's like how much is a millionaire in rupees somebody said it's 10 lakhs he's like no no not 10 lakhs I want to be a millionaire in dollars, right? So he doesn't even understand. But for him, millionaire is the thing. If I if I become a millionaire, right, my life is set. This is my ultimate goal. You see what I'm saying? We all live by a certain code, right? And uh, uh, there's this movie, Jerry Maguire. I don't know if you it's, uh, yeah, guys watch it and cry. Uh, this movie, uh, Jerry Maguire. Uh, she says, uh, "You complete me," right? The famous famous dialogue, right? You complete. What is the code there? The code is I'm incomplete without you. There's something missing in my life if you are not there, right? This idea of marriage or this idea of relationship. So we live our whole life with this thing that you know what? Only if I get somebody, only if I'm in a relationship, only if I get married, my life has meaning, my life has worth. Otherwise, I'm nothing in this world. I'm not saying you, you don't believe in God. We all believe in God, but we live by certain code. We live by certain principles in life. We all believe in something. If you notice, everything that we believe in this world is very natural. It's natural. People always believe these things. There's nothing supernatural about believing in winning and losing. There's nothing supernatural about uh, believing that you are incomplete. It's a, it's a, to be a, that money will save you. It's there's nothing supernatural. It's natural to believe these things. But today we're going to look at saving faith. Saving faith is not natural. Saving faith is supernatural. Saving faith is the Holy Spirit redirecting your natural belief and your natural faith that rests on something to Christ. That is saving faith, right? We all put our trust in something. We all believe in something. We all live by certain code. Saving faith is the Holy Spirit redirecting it to Christ, right? Uh, saving faith. originates from god saving faith is directed by god it is given by god ultimately we are saved by faith in what jesus has done so this morning we're going to get a glimpse into what the saving faith is i'm going to place three things before you one is saving faith is a change of mind it is a change of heart it is a change of life all right first let's look at change of mind it's a change in mind saving faith involves a change in mind look at verse 2 verse 2 Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death uh who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him when the centurion heard about Jesus he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant 
When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He's worthy to you to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he's the one who built us a synagogue. So here is a centurion, and there's something unusual, right? There's so many things unusual here. The centurion has a servant who's dying, and it's unusual for a Roman centurion to care for his servant. You don't, you don't, this is kind of unusual during that time, right? It's a servant, he's a slave, but here is a centurion who, who genuinely cares, and he loves this servant, and he wants him to be healed, right? But we also see something else that's unusual, that he is loved by the Jewish community. Right? And we've seen, uh, we talked about the uh, tax collectors in one of the earlier sermons. The tax collectors uh, basically subjugate the Romans and collect taxes, uh, subjugate the Jewish population, collect the taxes, and they were, they were hated by them. Uh, the, the role of the centurion is basically to make sure taxes are collected. Right? The, the role of the centurion is to make sure law and order is followed and make sure uh, the taxes are collected and there's no unrest or there's no protest. So naturally, people would hate somebody like him. But here, People love him, right? People love this centurion. Well, what about him? People, he's respected, he's loved, he's admired, right? They, they give a reason. They say he, lo he loves our nation. He loves the Jewish nation. And usually people who conquer uh, another nation, they usually hate them and they feel superior to them, right? But here is a man who loves this nation. He builds the synagogue. And the centurion makes a request to the elders of the Jews uh, and he says, uh, would you go and approach Jesus and ask him to heal my, uh, my servant? And they oblige. They oblige. It's very unusual. Right? In verse 4, when they came to Jesus and this uh, group of elders, when they come to Jesus, they pleaded with him. Right? They plead with Jesus earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do loves our nation. And he is, one of, he is the one who built our synagogue. And notice, I want you to notice something here. This is very interesting in the conversation, right? The elders come to Jesus and they, and they what do they tell Jesus? He is, he's worthy. He is worthy. So you, you have to do this for him. He is worthy. So you have to answer him. You, you, have, to, uh, you have to heal his servant. He deserves it. He's earned it. Why? Because he's a good man. Right? He, he's a respected man. Uh, he, he is beloved, he is admired, he is appreciated, he, uh, he is esteemed. And not just that, he is a man who is compassionate, he is nice, he does good things, he cares for people, he is humble, he is generous. Look at this man. He, he is a, a great example to everybody. He is worthy. He is worthy. So, so Jesus, you have to do this for him. Why? Because he is worthy. Notice what Jesus does, and uh, Jesus notices his faith, and he's, and he's amazed at the centurion's faith. faith. What about the faith? What about the centurion that amazes uh, Jesus? Right? Look at verse 4. Verse 4, the, the elders say he is worthy, so you have to do this for him. Look at verse 6, and Jesus went with them. Jesus actually going to his house. Uh, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for... What? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. And this is what amazes Jesus. Because the centurion is getting something. Right? And this is where we begin to unlock 
What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? We begin to unlock this, this mystery of what does it mean to be just a religious follower of God and to really be transformed by the gospel. This is where it is. This is where you see the difference between a religious paradigm and a gospel paradigm. In the religious worldview, this is how people come to God. People come to God based on their self-worth. People come to God based on their hard work, based on their success, based on their effort. So when people come to God, they say, God, look at my life. I've tried to do my best in this world. Look at my life. I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to help people. I've tried to be nice to everyone. I've not hurt anyone. I'm trying my best. Right? So, so you have to accept me. Look at me. So you have to accept me. Look at him. He is worthy. So God has to accept him. This is a religious world. You understand it? Right? This is the religious worldview. And when people have a religious worldview, this is, this is what happens in our heads. And I'm not saying you don't believe in God, but this is what happens in our head. If you ask somebody, uh, how is your relationship with God? Either they will, they will say, uh, they, will, they will feel good about themselves because they've done enough for God. Well, I, well, I, I went to Israel this year. Or I, I fasted for 40 days, I did this, or I, I read the Bible. So they feel good about because of something they've done. Or the other conversation is, I have to do more for God. They feel guilty because they've not done enough for God. And I have this vivid conversation and I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was talking to this friend and I asked him, uh, I asked him, we were, we were, it's a long conversation, we were talking and I finally had to ask him, hey, if you, if, you, if you die today, would you, do you think God will accept you? Do you think you'll go to heaven? And he said, no, no, Manjil, I think, I think I have to do more for God. I have to do more for God. <coughs> right? It's a religious paradigm. It's a religious paradigm, right? Uh, and this is where the centurion begins to get it. The centurion, uh, he has a different view of himself. The, the elders, the elders are coming. They have a religious paradigm with Jesus and they come and say, you have to bless him because he is worthy. He is respectable. He is all these things. You have to be. But look at how the centurion views himself. And this is where he begins to understand Jesus. He views himself as unworthy. Right? He views himself as unworthy. And again, another thing, right? We understand something else here. It is not just he views himself as unworthy. We are, sometimes we... We can also view ourselves like that. Right? We can also see ourselves as filthy. We can see ourselves, yes, I'm guilty. I understand that. I've, I, I have sinned. I'm not worthy. right? But again, the religious paradigm, this is how we, we work on a religious paradigm. If you, this is the conversation that will be, I'm unworthy. So, so don't help me. I can't be near you because I'm unworthy. Right? This is again a way we think about it. We saw this in Peter uh, a couple of weeks back when Peter encounters Jesus uh, on, the, on the boat. Jesus does this miracle of the fish and Peter immediately encounters the power of Jesus and he says, get away from me because I'm sinful. Right? Again, the way we look at, the way we look at God, right? even though we feel unworthy, our response is, get away from me. Even though we feel filthy and sinful, our response will be, I can't come before God. I'm too unworthy to come before God. I will come when I clean myself up. I will come when I do something more for God, when I change my habits, and then I will come, and then God will accept me. 
centurion does something else. The centurion does something else. Verse 6, he says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy. But then in verse 7, he says, but say the word and let my servant be healed. He doesn't say, I'm, I'm unworthy, so don't do this for me. He says, I'm unworthy, but you still heal me. You still heal my servant, right? What the centurion is saying is he's saying, I'm unworthy. I don't deserve you. There is nothing in me that deserves you, but I don't come to you on the basis of my worth. I don't come to you on the basis of my respectability. I come to you on the basis of some other moral virtue, right? In that sense, Jesus is amazed at the centurion because he is beginning to get it. He's beginning to get it. He's beginning to understand what it means to come before God. So it is not just feeling unworthy, but to really transfer your faith to Jesus, to really understand that he is worthy. You're coming to him based on his worth and not on your worth. Saving faith involves a change in mind. There is a foundational, fundamental change in the way you view yourself and you view God. It involves a change in mind. It has to do uh, with, with your trust. What do you trust? What do you trust? And even this morning as we sit before God, and this is not a one-time thing. This is an ongoing, ongoing thing. This is an ongoing transformation because of the gospel. And even as you sit here, what, what do you trust? What is your foundational trust? What do you trust? Do, do you trust in your hard work? Do you trust because you are successful? Do you trust because you're from a good family? What, what is it? What is it that background noise? What is it keeps telling you? Does it, does it make you feel guilty? Does it say you're a failure? You are nothing. Look at you. You, you are useless. Look at how mess, messed up your life. Is that the background noise that's coming in your head? Or, or the background noise could be, Ranjit, you're, you're amazing. What a great guy. You're a pastor. Oh, you're serving all this wonderful. You're amazing. God should love you. Is that, am I coming to God because of my self-worth? Jesus was amazed at the centurion because he was getting it. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Saving faith transforms your mind. And if I would ask you, why should God accept you? Why should God accept you in the stillness of, in the quietness? Why should God accept you? Why should he accept me? My friend, there is a foundational, there is a fundamental transfer of trust to Christ. And that is, that is saving faith. So it changes your mind. It deals with the area of trust. Secondly, there is a change of heart. There is a change of heart. It deals in the area of treasure what you treasure, right? Let's look at verse 36 onwards. In verse 36, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus for a meal to his home. And again, we see something unusual there. Verse 37, verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table, referring to Jesus, uh, reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed him with ointment. I 
want you to just just imagine what's going on right so here is jesus reclining at the table and he's uh, he's invited by this by simon who, who wants to support him who, who who shows his respect for jesus and here is this woman of the city, and obviously she's a prostitute, but she comes and does a couple of things, and I want us to understand the significance of this. Right? One is, uh, she, she brings an alabaster flask of ointment, right? and, I, and I want us to understand why this is important. This is an ointment, and in my head, ointment means tiger bomb, right? It's not tiger bomb, it, it's an expensive perfume, right? And I want you to have this image of uh, a, a woman, and this is, this is how, in that culture, right, and again, through readings, this is how they, they perceive this. And women, uh, it's a sign of being attractive. Like we wear <coughs> chains and stuff. Those days they wear like a chain with a small flask of perfume, right? And this, this small flask is just a tiny thing, but it's almost, in another account, we see that this can be as expensive as a year's wages. You need to work for a year to get this little bottle. Right? And this idea of the flask is that the neck is very thin. It's not like the spray we do, right? It's not, the, the perfume will not come out, right? The neck is too tiny, but when you open it, the, the smell comes out, the fragrance comes out. And that's why it is for life. It is being passed from generation to generation. It's something that is valuable, it's expensive. So when a, when a woman wears this around her neck, it is a sign of wealth. It is a sign of being attractive. It's a sign of beauty. Are you tracking me? It's, it's a treasure. It's something that's important. It's something that's valuable. Right? So here is this woman. What does she do? She does not care about what people think. She, she doesn't care about how people perceive her. Obviously, she knows people know, knows about her background, but she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She comes and falls at Jesus' feet. She wipes his feet with her tears. Oh, she kisses his feet and anoints it with this expensive perfume and to anoint it. And if you read about this, when you anoint it, you need to break it. You, you need to break the jar for the perfume to come out. It's not, just, it's not just the smell, but she actually breaks it so that the perfume anoints his feet. Think, think of, just imagine this. Just imagine this. This is important. She, she offers her total devotion. She offers her total affection to Jesus. She, she's, a, she's a professional prostitute. I want you to think about this, right? She only offers this affection for money. She only offers this devotion for money. She only opens this flask if you're willing to pay for it, right? But here, she opens the flask. She breaks the, she not only opens the, she breaks the flask for Jesus. The, 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 <laughs> the, the flask is a sign of her beauty. The flask is a sign of her worth. It is significant for her. This is what made her attractive before people. When people noticed her, this is something she, she was proud of. Her beauty, her attractiveness, how people looked at her. This is something, how, how people will come after her. This is her life's worth. This is her trade. This is her trade. And she breaks it before Jesus. And once you break it, you cannot put it back. It's over. There's no going back. Right? I want you to think about this. She lays at the feet of Jesus her beauty, thing that she would hold on to. She lays at the feet of Jesus her attractiveness, 
things that give her wealth and money and popularity, she lays it at the feet of Jesus. She lays at the feet of Jesus the thing that is most significant for her trade and for her wealth. That is that little flask and she breaks it before Jesus. She pours what is dearest to her heart. She pours her treasure before Jesus. She pours what is deeply significant to her before Jesus. Saving faith is a change of heart. It's a change of heart. And we all treasure something in our hearts. We all treasure something. We treasure. We treasure. Right? We treasure. We all hold on things that are very deeply important to us. Whatever it could be. Whatever it could be. It could be something positive, like success. Clearing an exam or proving to your family. It could be anything, right? You hold it dear. You want to, that's important for you. It's dear to you. Or it could be something negative. Maybe it's, it's, it's somebody who's hurt you and you're holding on to the hurt. Right? It could be something like that. You're holding on to a memory and it's, it's controlling you. It's something that is close to you and you don't want to let anybody into that space. Saving faith is opening your heart to Jesus. Look at verse 39. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this. Now Simon is saying this. The Pharisee who invited this saw this. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering, said to Simon, Simon, I have something say to you and he answered say teacher very interesting right so Simon is telling Jesus you should know you should know what this woman is thinking if this woman is coming and touching your feet you should know what's, what's in her mind Jesus is telling Simon forget about her I know what is in your mind <laughs> I know what you are thinking right so let me tell you something jump to verse 44 verse 44 the turning turning toward the woman he said to Simon do you see this woman I entered your house, you gave me no water for your feet, for my feet. But she has wet my feet with the tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. What's going on? Jesus is telling Simon, Simon, you invited me home. That's wonderful. Simon, I understand you did the right thing. You respect me. You've shown your duty. You've shown your support. Yes, you want to be respected outside of circles and you, you know that you want people to know that you, you support me as well. But Simon, you've not given me your heart. You've given me your respect. But you've not given me your heart. This woman does not care if people are respecting her or not. She, she doesn't care how respectable she is before people, how dignified she is before people. She doesn't care. All she cares is me. She gives her total devotion and her heart to me. But Simon, you, you want to be respected. You want to be respected. That's more important for you. You've not given me your heart. And saving faith changes your heart. Saving faith changes your heart. 
Oh, as you grow in Jesus, as you grow in the gospel, Jesus keeps calling you, give me your heart. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. It's about your heart. Saving faith is about laying your treasure before Jesus, not holding back. Not holding back. It's laying your treasure at the feet of Jesus. What is valuable? What is most important to you? What are you holding on? It is laying that at the feet of Jesus. Have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you given your heart? And I, I ask this question always to myself. Am I doing am I doing all these things? Why? Because I we respect it, because they think Oranjit came to Delhi. What, what, what is this? Where's my heart? Is my heart devoted to Jesus? Scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Your heart will be. I can claim to have, say, I can, I've given my heart to Jesus. Oh, but if I'm standing, if I'm standing and I want to be respected by everybody and I want to look good before everybody and I want to have a successful life and I want to be look perfect before everybody. I need to have a perfect family and a perfect work and I, all this is important for me. But I'm not giving my heart to Jesus. I don't, I, don't, I don't mind if I'm looking like a fool before Jesus. I don't mind if people look at me and they feel like, what is wrong with him? I don't mind because I want Jesus to have my heart my respect, not my duty. <clears throat> what are you holding on to? Saving faith involves a change of mind. It has to deal with your foundational trust. Saving faith involves a change of heart. It has to deal with your foundational treasure. And lastly, there is a change of life. There's a change of life. How can we experience such a life? How, how can we experience such a faith? How, how can I be free? The, the, the woman is free. Oh, she was controlled by the flask. Right? If you think about it, she was controlled by the treasure, by the wealth, and by the beauty, and by what people think of her, and how she is attractive to everybody, and how she is solicited. Oh, she is, she, that's a treasure. But she breaks it at the feet of Jesus. She's no longer controlled by it anymore. She's free. She's free. How can I be free? How can I be free from anxiety? From self-pity? How can I be free from depression? How can I be free from people's expectations? How, how can I enjoy this eternal life now? How, how can I be full of assurance and joy and peace in the midst of my struggles and confidence? How can I be happy? How can I be like this? There's a change of life. Look at verse 47. Verse 47. It says, therefore I tell you, Jesus tells Simon, he says, therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Very interesting. Very interesting. Does that mean she has sinned more and Simon has sinned less? No, that's not what it means. Right? He says, he who is forgiven little, loves little. He who is forgiven more, he who is forgiven much, loves much. My friend, this is where you begin to understand the gospel. Saving faith is not a mental ascent. It is not just, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, yeah I, believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. It is not a mental ascent. It involves a foundational change in your trust, in your mind. It involves a foundational change in your heart, in your treasure. 
but what changes my life? What changes my life? And if you look at the movie Saving Private Ryan, and I've referenced to this before, but in that movie, uh, this private called Ryan, there's a group of people who go to rescue him, right? And, and, and his life completely changes. The captain of the team dies, right, in the end. And, and you see the movie, his life, his whole life is changed because of the sacrifice of these men who came to save him. Are you tracking me? His life changes completely. His worldview changes. How he lives, everything changes because of the sacrifice that these guys did for him. My friend, Jesus has done something no man can ever do for you. Jesus has done, done something that you can never do for yourself. His sacrifice saves you from the wrath to come. His sacrifice gives you eternal life. His sacrifice forgives your sin. His sacrifice saves you and redeems you and makes you God's child. God himself had to pay the price for it. God himself had to do something about it. Do you understand how much, how much wrath your sin deserves? Do you even understand that? And we think by doing something nice and being good to people and helping and giving some money, somehow we will avoid this. No, my friend, God himself had to do something about it to save you. That is the weight of my sin. That is the weight of what I am doing. Do you, do you see what Jesus did for you? Do you see what Jesus did for you? Are you, are you amazed at the woman who poured you're amazed at the woman who poured her treasure before Jesus. Do you know what Jesus did? Philippians 2, 7 says, Jesus poured himself. Oh, my friend, Jesus poured himself. Jesus emptied himself for you. Isaiah 50 through 12 says, Jesus poured his life unto death for you and for me. Do you see what Jesus has done? Are you struggling to pour your treasure before him? Do you see what Jesus has poured for you? Do you have trouble trusting Jesus for your salvation? Do you have trouble giving your heart fully to Jesus and trusting him? Or do you, do you have trouble with that? The extent to which you see your sin and how unworthy you are before God is the extent to which you will understand and accept what Jesus has done. The extent to which you see your sin if you think your sin is not bad, you don't need Jesus. You don't need Jesus. You're a good person. No, you don't need Jesus. The extent to which you see the reality of your sin and what you owe God is the extent to which you will run into Jesus and appreciate what he has done. Do you have trouble loving people? Do you struggle with selfishness? Do you have trouble forgiving people? Are you living for yourself? Is your whole world revolving around yourself? Do you, do you find yourself impatient and irritable? Do you find yourself filled with self-pity and depression? Do you find yourself busy all the time? It's hard for you to open your heart and treasure. My friend, the degree to which you see Jesus pouring his life for you is the degree to which you will open and pour your heart. And this is, this is the gospel. And it's an ongoing transformation. This is not one time. This is a daily transformation that happens. The more I recognize this and lean on Jesus, the more freedom and joy I experience.
morning Jesus says you are mine I have poured all that I have for you so that you can become mine what are you holding on to what are you keeping from him let's pray This morning, would you just bow your heart, heads and just close your eyes and just, just reflect upon what we heard. Does the gospel continue to change your heart? Does the gospel continue to change your mind? Does the gospel continue to change your life? Where is your trust this morning? Where is your treasure this morning? Do you want to look good before people? <clears throat> or do you want to open your heart before Jesus? <clears throat> Father, I pray that even in your presence, oh Holy Spirit, I pray that you will open my heart to understand these things. There are things that I hold on to every day of my life. There are, things, there are things that are more valuable and significant to me than you in my life. Oh, help me to give my heart to you. Oh, let me see how much you mean. Oh, Jesus, the Son of God who poured himself for me, why would you do that for me? Why would you do that for me? I thank you because in you I'm loved. No matter what the world says, no matter what my circumstances may point to. Oh, in you I am cherished. No matter how painful my life is, no matter how misunderstood I am, or no matter how imprisoned I feel in my circumstances and how helpless and hopeless I feel, in you I am free. In you I am delighted. In you I am accepted. I am not coming to you based on my worth. I come to you based on what you have done for me. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. <clears throat>